0: listening to Angel News podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders, where founders and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm Oleg Kozhikov, Sr., standing in for your regular host. Our guest today is Bill Masaitis. Bill has built marketing teams at four very successful companies and has achieved five exits over his career. He was a CRO and CMO at Slack, CMO at Zentask and SVP Marketing at Salesforce. These days, Bill enjoys helping and advising other companies on how to achieve hyper-growth. I'm really excited to bring Bill on to talk about his experiences of creating marketing powerhouses for the three fastest growing SaaS companies in history. Now, Bill, welcome to the show.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Oleg. Excited to be here.
0: Same here. So maybe let's start talking about your background, if you could tell us, and maybe how you gradually or maybe suddenly became a marketing expert in SaaS industry. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you. I I, I consider myself an above average marketer. So I always appreciate when people think a little higher than that. But, uh, you know, I've always loved marketing. Um, I was the nerd in sixth grade reading the Wall Street Journal in the the back of the room. I, I don't know, I just always have had a passion for business, always had a passion for marketing. Uh, you know, I did my first startup right out of college. So we co-founded a site, early SaaS subscription model, you know, grew to about 10 million members and sold it. And so, I don't know, it's, it's just been in my blood. Like, I've always had, you know, an incredible passion for this. Great.
0: Well, maybe let's start talking about how companies can achieve hyper growth by developing cutting edge marketing strategies and the first question that i have is uh, what are some common characteristics or tactics that companies use to achieve this hyper growth through marketing
1: yeah great great question to me and this is going to be a, a little different answer than maybe you're expecting but I, I think the common characteristic that i see are companies that bring in people that are hungry to learn and are always on top of the newest trends Because here is the thing, like how how we got Salesforce to grow fast was different than how we got Zendesk to grow fast, which is different than how we got Slack to grow fast. And there is always new strategies, techniques out there. Uh, Right now, I am a huge fan of you know product like growth and everything goes into that. By reality loops, Um, I've always been a strong inbound marketer, um, lots of content marketing, SEO. Uh, But you know the the tactics and the strategies always always change, right? You know, and now there is incredible ad targeting technologies via um, you know there there's amazing things you can do with the tech stack um you know from a nurturing from a multi-touch attribution standpoint so i think just like staying hungry staying on top of the trends and you know, goodness if you're listening to this podcast you're, you're probably like that right you're probably someone that wants to stay on top of it so i i, I think that's a great uh, characteristic and trend to help you out
0: all right great and uh, maybe can you be more specific and share maybe some example from your personal experience how marketing strategy was used by a company you know to successfully break into a new market or industry
1: yeah sure so i think you know my background's a little different in that i spend about half my current b2c and half on b2b right um and 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 the b2b side it was b2b software and so i'll say you know a couple of things is that a, a lot of the tactics that worked on b2c i found worked really well on b2b and by the way some of these don't require a huge budget right so one thing you'll find if you're in the b2b space is companies for whatever reason tend not to really invest in Building a brand, Um, and by building a brand, that doesn't mean like oh, spending you know tens of million dollars on big ad campaigns. That could just be something as similar as something as simple as you know create a unique visual identity. Like choose a color palette, right, and be strong with it. At Zendesk, we had green, right, and that was our color palette, and there was green on everything, and we loved it, right. At Slack, we created a unique editorial tone and voice. So when you did the sign up. You know it wasn't just boring like enter name next accept cancel right it, it, we had a little fun with it it was witty it was fun you know when you're using the software you hopefully had an enjoyable experience and some of that was just you know rewriting the the normal dialogues right when you go through the sign up and the adoption process or, or choose a mascot right it's a great way to soften a brand um you know especially in b2b you tend to be in like these really crowded spaces right like if you're in the data warehouse space, there's a dozen other companies that do that. If you're in the analytics space, there's a dozen companies. If you're in team messaging, there's a dozen companies, right? So you really have to stand out. I found like you know building a brand that's that's a little different, you know, that's more customer centric, that you know people remember and smile when they interact with you uh, it is a great, really way to dis- differentiate yourself, and that's going to help you grow because you know one of the most powerful ways to grow is word of mouth anybody that's in b2b or that looks at like lead scoring knows that the, the, the best converting leads are someone that came from word of mouth right they came from a referral someone said oh i love you guys you gotta check them out and um, those leads always convert great so to get that word of mouth though you have to deliver you know really positive experiences and again creating a brand that's kind of fun that people have a good time interacting with they're much more likely to recommend you and then therefore they're much more likely for your company to grow
0: and of course, we understand the importance of growth, but how do companies balance the need for this short-term growth with the importance of building a sustainable, long-term marketing strategy?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the $10,000 question, right? And, and it's, really, it's a really good question. It's a really hard because a lot of the tactics I advocate for, for long-term growth, uh, product-led growth... SEO, virality loops, customer centricity—those are all long-term plays, right? And if you if you kind of take those on, you're not going to see the results next week or next month. Um, and, and and that's the rub right like it's sometimes these longer term strategies do take some time to build i mean a lot of times in you know productly growth they talk about a flywheel right and imagine this big stone wheel that's just hard to get moving but once once it starts to get moving it's going fast right and and it's really hard to stop um Th- those are really long-term strategies. I think there is definitely a need for sometimes for short-term growth and just to hit your short-term, you know, metric, um, whether that's ARR or pipeline or uh, MQLs, whatever you're going after. To me, that's where I supplement it with more like paid vehicles. Like I mentioned earlier, like I think there's a lot of really cool things that are happening right now in uh, ABM with marketing and sales combining to go after like a top 50 list. Um, that, that works great, but it's a little more expensive, right? Would I want 100% of our business coming from that strategy? No. Nope. <laughs> you know, when you look at the unit economics, you know, whether it's, you know, CAC payback or SAS magic number, um, it's just it's it's hard to maintain those paid campaigns. You're also not going to get as strong of a multiple, you know, on your revenue when you look at your valuations. So um, I always try to think about not just how you can grow and grow fast, but how you can do it in a really scalable, capital efficient manner. And I think with, you know, the economic climate that we're in, um, you know, founders, marketers—you you really need to focus on that. It can't just be, "Hey, I can get you a thousand MQLs this month," but like, how much do those cost, right? And how can we build a foundation so that we can do this in the long run efficiently?
0: Yeah, maybe let's double-click on measuring the success of the uh, marketing strategy. Is there some critical, maybe most important metric that you would look at, or it's uh, rather kind of a portfolio or a range of different uh, metrics? Yeah. Yeah. Great question.
1: I, I like the portfolio approach. So historically what I see in my space, which is, you know, B2B SaaS, B2B software is historically most marketing teams only cared about uh, leads or MQLs. Um, and, and I get why that has happened, but I do think that creates some kind of unnatural incentives, right? If all you care about is leads, you tend to see marketing teams gate everything. So all their content's gated. They just care about you filling out a form and that's it. Right. Um, but if you kind of look at like where your revenue comes from, so all the companies I worked at, Slack, Zendesk, Salesforce, you know, a lot of the other companies I advise now, um, historically, usually about 50% of the revenue comes from add on upgrade expansion. Right. So, There's a whole host of not just bringing in new business, but you have to think about how do we expand and grow our existing business. so you have like the, I call them like these you know these funnel metrics you know MQLs ARR add an upgrade um, ARR uh, then also I think if you're a good marketer you're going to think about your brand you know I mentioned it you know at the beginning of the pod um, and the good news is hey there's lots of good brand metrics out there right it doesn't have to be all super fuzzy like oh we're going to build brand and we can't measure it but we're going to do it um, there's great metrics whether that's aided recall unaided recall uh, sentiment sure voice sheer conversation and not only that it's a lot easier to get these metrics now. It doesn't, it doesn't cost a huge amount. You can get these, you know, fairly uh, cheaply now. So I I think those, those brand metrics are great. Uh, I also, I come from the customer-centric camp. So I like experience-based metrics, right? And those are things like net promoter score, customer satisfaction, uh, daily active users, even things like, you know, PQLs, product qualified leads. Um, I, I think marketing definitely has, you know, an ability to influence and shape those. And so... You know, it's kind of like what I mentioned earlier. Like, I really think that even metrics, like you really have to stay on top of these. Like there's, you know, I think five years ago, we weren't looking at things like product qualified leads or data active users or net promoter score, right? It was, again, mostly just leads. So I I think to be a good marketer, you really have to think about, you know, what metrics are going to encourage long-term scalable growth, right? And to do that, I think you do have to balance those pipeline metrics, uh, the um brand metrics and those experience metrics
0: and how do companies navigate the challenges and risks that are associated with rapid growth in their marketing efforts
1: yeah it's it's hard right when you're growing that fast i think there's kind of a you know growth at all costs mindset that comes and you know, a lot of times marketing, when a company is growing well, you you get a lot of that money that comes in, right? You'll do a new round and a, a good chunk of that money goes so they go to the go-to-market teams and the marketing. Um, and I, I think, again, you have to kind of have this, in my eyes, like a long-term mindset towards capital efficiency, right? It can't just be growth at all costs like you really have to think about like do the diligence know your lifetime value know your CAC payback know how much it's costing you in these different channels you know invest in multi touch attribution that's a that's a really important one you know because what 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 i found across B2B. And I think it applies to B2C too, is people don't see one ad and buy you, <laughs> they, you know, they see three or four ads. They read a piece of content, you know, maybe they heard, you know, got a referral from a friend They go to a website. Maybe it's another couple, Months as a lead, then they finally buy you. You know, maybe they see an event. There's a whole bunch of touch points that happen, and and having really a really solid understanding of multi-touch attribution modeling, which basically just says like, hey, of all these touches, what do we give credit to? Do we give it to you know equal for all those touch points, or first or last, or regression analysis, uh, whatever it is? Right. It's it's good to have a really solid understanding of those, so that you can really in the long run know like what channels are going to be most efficient. So, um, like I said, even if you're growing fast, like it is, it's a great situation to be in. I think for a lot of companies now, probably the opposite's happening, right? They're going through, you know, a lot of global headwinds on the economic front. And so, um, I think there's even more pressure for marketing to kind of prove like, Hey, like we generate business or we're helping out. Right. And if you have the right metrics that you're tracking, if you can prove it pretty solidly, you're in a much better position, you know, the next time you have to present to the board or your, your CFO.
0: And can we start talking about maybe your experience with uh, implementing a modern marketing tech stack?
1: Yeah, so I'm a a, a big fan of the, uh, the the marketing tech stack. I think that again, like there's a lot of ways you can grow, and in so, some. Some companies will just throw people problems, right? So whatever the problem is, we'll just hire more people. Um, I think when you're growing super fast, you really do have to think about um, how you can do it in an efficient way. And a lot of times tech is going to help you there, right? So, uh, you know, the marketing tech stack is massive now, you know, depending on what tools you're going to use. You know, I mentioned multi-touch attribution modeling. I think that's huge. I think uh, predictive lead scoring, right, um, is really big. Lead scoring shouldn't just be, you know, How many times they came to your website or what pages did they view? You should look at... You know firmographic data demographic data you should look at um, all the previous companies of that size and shape how well have they converted you know you should be layering in product usage data a PQL type data into lead scoring that's important um, obviously the analytics are important heat map I mean content marketing nurturing you know there's so many great tools out there um, even all the ad targeting side I would just say again like just try to stay on top of it you know um, I think historically a lot of people relied on the analysts for this and and now you're starting to see a lot more user reviews are um, becoming more common. So just like in B2C, B2B has user reviews, right? And whether that's like a trust radius or a G2 crowd, um, there's a lot of good sources out there for information for building up that, that marketing tech stack.
0: Mm-hmm. And have you gone through selecting and uh, integrating any new technologies into your marketing stack? It sounds like you did, but maybe if you could double click on that.
1: Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I think there's always new new ones that are coming out, right? Um, and like I said, I, I think I've leveraged a lot of ABM strategies as well. Um, and I think everything from like, hey, let's come up with a top 100 list for targeted accounts. And then wh- whenever... When any of those individual accounts land on a homepage, maybe we dynamically change it, and that homepage literally gives a specific message uh, for that company, right? So um, I think there's all, like I said, there's always new technologies coming out. You know, you just want to make sure you're staying on top of this. And is it going to allow you to deliver a better experience? Is it going to allow you to generate, you know, more ARR, more pipeline? Um, and again, not just for net new customers, but I do think like, hey, what does your marketing tech stack look like? for to help grow your existing customers. Right. And that might be something like, you know, in product education, or me- messaging. I think that's really important. So if you're in the software space, you know, do you have a module inside your software that allows you to speak and talk to your existing customers? Um, I think that's, um, that, that's a, that, that's a huge element. And, you know, for these tech stacks, you always have to think about how you're going to build in those new tools and, in and, and what role they're going to have.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious to maybe get some detail on that so how often is the stack, I mean how is it what's the pace of kind of how fast it is evolving is it you know you don't upgrade it every month right so no. if there's <laughs> some add ons maybe that happened at some frequency so how often does this happen is this a superficial or not superficial but maybe a lighter add ons or versus maybe some fundamental changes what's the frequency yeah. of change here
1: you know so you're going to have certain elements of your core tech stack right they're going to be like your your crm your marketing automation You know, your analytics, it's not like you want to be changing those out every week. (laughs) It takes a long time to put these in and install them and get people comfortable with them. So, um, but I will say that like SaaS has allowed you, SaaS has shifted from, you know, from the on-prem days where you would literally install these on servers and off of like, you know, CD-ROMs and stuff. And they were completely hard to use. SaaS allows you to... Have a much more user-friendly software that you just log in. You don't need to install anything. You don't need to go through the IT team. So it does allow you to switch tools, you know, more frequently, more easily. Um, now, I, I think like you know, for when I when I was CMO, I would always kind of empower my teams to go out and you know find the tools that they were going to allow them to be successful. So the content marketing team had their own tech stack. The you know my ad demand gen team had their own tech stack. PR team had their own tech stack. So I think there's going to be unique needs for each team. And of course, you have to be careful, right? Because you know, you can have proliferation of tools and you find out you're spending a lot and no one's really using them. So you got to be a little careful with that. But I think like to me, like an annual cadence is good to kind of think about, hey, for these major pieces, does it make sense to insert something new? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah. So one one story we had was, uh, like I said, we had mentioned earlier, but I I love multi-touch attribution modeling. I I geek out on that. (laughs) I think it's super fascinating. Um, And so, you know, you kind of see this evolution of multi-touch, right? From going from a lot of lead scoring tools would just go, oh, we're going to give all the credit to the very first thing that they found out about us. Or we're going to give all the credit to the very last thing. You know, they found out about us and, and that tends to break down when you have like, you know, 10, 15, 20 touches before someone buys with you. Right. Giving all the credit to the first or last gives you a very distorted view of what works. So the, the evolution then went to like, oh, any touch, we're going to give all touches equal. And then you started to even move to more AI regression analysis. So it would look at every single touch point and compare that to all the other. Businesses that closed and go, oh, which points sent it to generate the biggest deal sizes or had the shortest deal cycles um, or had fa- other favorable unit economics. And it would, using AI logic, it would assign its own value to that. So I love that as an AI fan, <laughs> as a math nerd, right? Like, hey, that totally made sense to me. But what I found at a couple of companies that I worked with, you know, you would run into the C-suite and, and that was, and they would be like, it was, it was very confusing for them. They're like, well, wait, in the old model we gave 3 points if they landed on the pricing page or if they did this and you know it, it was it was more of a black box right and so i do think you have to be careful like marketing with the tech stack really with anything in marketing i think you do have to spend a lot of cycles on identifying your internal stakeholders you know hey your head of sales your head of product your your CFO, your CEO, the board members and educating them like, well, "Hey, well th- this is why we're using this tech stack. This is what it does. This is, you know, why it's best to breed. Hey, here's here's the results we're getting from it." Because if you just kind of put your heads down, you don't really you know, build those relationships or kind of evangelize, you're in a dangerous position because people just don't know what's going on and, and they don't have buy-in. Um, and, you know, usually within an organization, people tend to like marketing. There's a lot of marketing experts within an organization. Um, and so you really got to make sure, you know, they they understand the decisions you're making uh, with the tech stack, but even more broadly, like all of your marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question, right? So I think this is literally one of the most important things you can do um, when you're out there and you're trying to improve your, you know, your marketing uh, acumen and just, you know, your overall knowledge of what's going on. So for me, like, uh, I think like a... I love podcasts, right? So I listen to about a hundred different podcasts. There's probably a dozen or so that are marketing related, like including this one. Um, I think that's a great way to to stay on top of things. You know, there's lots of great conferences out there, you know, whether it's social media, web analytics, you know, content marketing, you know, go to those, go to the sessions, you know, listen, learn, you know, make new contacts. There's tons of great webinars. I'm a big YouTube fan. There's so much good content on YouTube, right? Um, Some of the stuff I think you just, kind of have to have like a passion to learn right like when i was in my 20s like i really got into seo but you know there weren't i'm older now i'm in my, my late 40s so, so that was a long time ago but anyway there wasn't like a lot of content on seo and there certainly were no classes that i could go take on it and so but i just started going there were a lot of like seo forums and and I went and I spent a couple hours every night, you know, for like a month. And I just read and read and read and like learned about, you know, black hats and domain authority and page rank and, you know, all these different concepts. And pretty soon, like I was the expert on SEO. Right. So I don't know. I, I think really just kind of comes from that, like stay hungry. Right. Like the best piece of career advice I ever got was uh, it was this last day lunch and went out and I asked him, I'm like, hey, you know, what piece of advice do you have? And he's like, he's like, Bill, he's like, it doesn't matter if you're employed or not. It matters if you're employable. And I think what he meant by that is like, hey, you to have your skill sets, right? Like even if you have a great job, a great role, but your skill sets are getting really dusty, you know, that's that's going to be hard. But if you always have if you're on top of things, if you know the latest tech, you know, the latest strategies, you know, you're very employable, right? And so that, that was something I always stayed home with me.
0: Well, that's that's a good segue into talking about um, you know how to build a world class marketing team, and maybe let's start with uh, how can companies identify the key roles and skills that are needed for a successful marketing team.
1: Yeah, so I think first off, there's uh, you know a dozen different org marketing org structures out there. The ones that I've used are different than the ones of other CMOs I respect. And I don't think there's one size fits all. I don't like I'm a big sports fan. I kind of think like your marketing team and really your marketing strategy should adapt to the team that you have. So if I have Shaquille O'Neal on my basketball team, you better bet I'm going to, you know, past the past, the rock in the post a lot. Right. <laughs> Cause he was, he was really dominant. Right. <laughs> and if I have, you know, Steph Curry, I'm going to do a lot of three point shooting. Um, so I do think you need to adapt to what you have. You know, like I remember at Zendesk we had a couple people that were just amazing at, uh, doing video and a lot of our marketing strategy, we leveraged that, right? We, we did a lot of like in-house video for our demos, for product launches, for a lot of our ad campaigns. And that's because we had a Shaquille O'Neal there, right? was <laughs> like, let's, let's do that. Um, so I think some of it it's like, Hey, you know, look at your existing team, right. And figure out like, Hey, where am I really strong? Right? Like you, you may have someone that's great at podcast advertising. And they know every single podcast, they know how to do the attribution for it, they know where to get good rates, they know how to re- make the right creative, you know, when the ad comes on. And that's great. Go into that, right? Because there's there's a hundred things you can do in marketing. There's no shortage of strategies and tactics you can do. But most marketing orgs, they at least in my experience, they tend to peanut butter it, they they tend to build a team for everything, and then they don't get quite as strong in certain areas. So that being my overarching advice. That being said, like when I've just from my own personal experience when I build teams, usually I will start with the the marketing ops and analytics team. Um, I just think like having like setting up all your metrics, start tracking your brand metrics, start building the tech stack. Like that's very foundational. You need to have that then I tend to build up my product marketing team and PMMs are different for everyone but for me PMMs they were in charge of uh, the storytelling they were in charge of you know identifying our ICP personas um, sorry I'm throwing out a lot of acronyms here but uh, you know they were that foundational element um, and then I would start to build content marketing teams I was a big fan of that you know and the SEO that comes from it um, then you start getting into campaign team that did more paid media um, and again eventually as you grow bigger and bigger you start even to see like things like you know a pr team a growth team an events team international again you can these these teams can get pretty large depending on you know the life cycle and the company size that you're at Um, but ultimately though i I think it's good to be flexible with like what those teams are and and who are leading them
0: and can you share some examples of companies that managed to build this strong in-house marketing teams outside of Slack, Zendesk and Salesforce that, you know, the teams that go really impactful for business of these companies.
1: Yeah. So there's a, obviously a lot of companies that I respect out there and, and what they've, um, what they've been able to do. Um, like I'm a big fan of Calendly, right? So I like, Product-like growth, um, and to me again, product-like growth doesn't mean the product team does it. It means that people just spend most of their time in the product. So, how do you infuse your marketing into the product? Your sales into the product? Um, your your service and customer support into the product? Um, and and I think they do you know a fantastic job there. Um, I've always been a big fan of HudSpot, You know, with the the work they've done on the the content marketing side um, and the nurturing side. You know, and there's tons of new companies that are coming out. That's the that's the great thing. Like there's great. Um, there's great SaaS companies all over the world. You know, I'm really lucky. Like my current role, I serve as an advisor, a board advisor to a lot of these different companies. And there's fantastic ones out there, right? Like I'm working with the company Superside. They do kind of design freelance for larger companies, and you know, it's been awesome to work with them. They have such great creative. They have such great um, energy. They do fantastic events. Um, you know, I think Chargebee is fantastic. That's another company that I've worked with. Um, you know, there's a long list out. Out there and I think like now it's like really it's a golden age of, of SaaS there's so many fantastic companies that are building you know incredible software for you know people to use and address their pain points so um, it's something I, I feel really lucky to work with so many great teams right now
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about an excitement uh, around us uh, around potential of generative AI Yeah. And uh, I was wondering, what's your thinking in terms of how this uh, generative AI could improve and augment the role of a marketer in a company?
1: Yeah. uh, So it's a great area. I mean, it's just what you're talking about earlier, right? Like a new a new trend comes out of nowhere. Right. And it's like, hey, you know, if you spend time in it, you know what it is, you know, that what's what's possible. And, you know, I've spent a good amount of time researching this. Like, it is amazing. I mean, obviously, everything's going around ChatGPT now, but there's a lot of predictive AI that can help in a numerous areas. So, you know, like if you're if you're an SEO manager, wow. Like, I mean, you can have you know, ChatGPT, you know, do keyword research. You can have it write um, headlines, write blog posts. You know, I see predictive AI being huge in the campaign um, demand gen area. So especially around the, you know, the media optimization, you know, there's there's so much of marketing that's not just like building the stuff, but also like knowing how to optimize it. And I think there's a huge opportunity there. I mean, obviously, you know, you have to be careful because, you know, for those that have used chat GPT. The answers that come up with sound very confident and they sound right, but sometimes they're totally wrong, right? And so you got to be careful like how much you're leveraging it. But I do think... You know That's a trend that's going to be there, that's going to come. And like I mentioned earlier, like I like using AI and multi-touch distribution modeling because I myself cannot go through 60,000 leads and look at every single element and 100 different signals and see how they've converted and be able to attribute credit to it. Um, and so I feel like it's definitely coming. And for no matter what your role is in marketing, it's good to do research on like, hey, how they think it's affecting, or how you can leverage it, how you can be a better marketer, right? So it's, a, it's an exciting time.
0: Okay. Yes, it, it is. It is. I totally agree. I would assume that in your previous roles, you probably spent some time and effort to attract and retain top talent for your marketing teams. So, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, certainly, I think anytime that you're, you know, building a team, you want to. Attract great talent. I think for me, it was always like how to create a special culture because every company has their own culture. Um, And even within marketing, you're creating a culture. So, you know, for me, like, again, like the big litmus test I used was like, hey, are people passionate? Do they like to learn? Do they like to, you know, try new things? you know, are they open-minded? Are they customer centric? Right. That was a big lens for me. Like when I would do my interviews, if it's like, if someone never said the word customer once in the interview, I'm like, well, they're probably not very customer centric, probably not a good fit for us. Yeah. A little bit of a red flag there. So I think it's important. I think at the same time too, like you do need to identify who are your top performers, right? How can you, how can you coach them up? How can you get them even more excited? Right. How can you give them more? Right. Cause sometimes like, like we talked about earlier, marketing org charts, sometimes org charts aren't always perfect. And I remember like I had uh, a guy who led, you know, our product marketing team, but also our international team, also our events team. And you might think like, Oh, sometimes those don't go together, but like he was really passionate about it. And I was like, Hey, great. Like, okay, you got it. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of like whenever someone is passionate about it, like I'd rather have a leader who's passionate about what they're leading it up and maybe doesn't have the perfect background for it than someone that quote unquote has the credentials, but just isn't very passionate about that. I don't like that team's not going to be as, as, as thought provoking. And so, you know, and, and I think, you know, you got to be a good manager, good leader, you know, especially with the top performers, right? You, you should be doing a, a weekly one-on-one. You should be giving them, you know, feedback on a regular basis. You should be thinking about their comp, right? Like, what does it look like? Is it is it at market? Because um, it's, it's not easy, right? I think a lot of times, like marketing leaders, you know, you think in an abstract world, it's like, oh, we're just sitting down doing tactical work all day. But really, it's like you spend a lot of your time on on your org on your people coaching them mentoring them leading them you spend a lot of time you know working with those different stakeholders i mentioned earlier you know educating evangelizing like the role really shifts from being like an individual contributor to kind of a, a team leader and and what's expected from it
0: and how can companies ensure their marketing team is aligned with the overall business strategy
1: Yeah, great question. So I thought of all the companies I worked at, Salesforce uh, did the best job at this. And so they actually had a process. They used, uh, it was called a a V2 mom. You can look it up like V2 and then MOM. It was similar to OKRs for those that have used those. That's kind of the Google goal setting. But basically the idea was like Mark would come out at the beginning of the year and he would say, Hey, here are the top 10 things that we're going to do as a company. And not only that, he would stack rank those top 10. (laughs) It wasn't like they were all equally weighted. It was literally like the number one most important thing to do as a company. And like, for instance, that might be, hey, we want to grow the service cloud to 40% market share. And I think like that, having that ability to clearly articulate the company goals was really important. And then like as a marketing leader... It allowed me then to go in and go, okay, here's the top three goals as a company top five goals, top 10, whatever they are like, okay, what does my marketing team look like? Where am I? I, Does my team reflect what those goals are? How can I make sure they're following those goals? Like what are those metrics for those top 10 goals and make sure my team's aligned to it? Um, What what I find is like advising a lot of different companies now is a lot of times the, the, the companies at the top skip that step, right? Like, like a lot of times I'll be like in a, like a kickoff call and I'll be like, Hey, everybody on the call, write down what the company's top three, Goals are right. You'll get, you know, twenty-seven different answers, or a lot of them are like, I don't know, right? And so I think you know, most important, if you're the marketing leader, it's like, hey, look, push your CEO or whoever the team to go, like, hey, what are the what are our top goals for this year? Please stack rank them. Please tell me, give me a metric associated with that. And then is the marketing leader, you go, okay, now how do I? I'm going to build my marketing strategy to reflect how I'm going to hit those goals. You know, like, for instance, I like, remember at Salesforce one year, Japan was really important for us. We wanted to improve our market share in Japan. And so, like, hey, I shifted a lot of our internal energy to how do we support Japan more? What does that look like from a field marketing perspective? What does that look like from uh, a content marketing perspective, from a campaign's perspective, right? You know, we had to shift a lot of our energy there to, to, to reflect and make sure it was aligned to what the top overall company goals were.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. And can you discuss some... Um Common mistakes that SaaS companies make in their marketing efforts and how to avoid them?
1: Uh, they hire Bill Messidus. I think, like, you know, one is like just not coming up with your metrics, right? Um, I, I think, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, companies or CEOs will have a bad experience with marketing because they'll be like, hey, I feel like we spent all this money and we didn't get anything out of it, right? And so I do think it's really important for you to go you know, define those metrics again, where they're pipeline metrics, brand metrics, experience metrics, and then track your marketing efforts against those metrics. Right. Um, because if you're just spending, like, you know, spending people time or dollars and you can't really show the impact, you know, that's going to come back and, and bite you. I think hiring too fast can come and bite you. Hiring people that don't share the company's values can really come and bite you. You know, I remember when we were in Slack, um, you know we had one or two hires that just they they knew the space incredibly well they were perfect domain experts but they didn't really fit our values and i think at the time it was like oh well you know we got to hire we're growing so fast we just need someone for this role great they know their stuff really well Uh, But that came back and bit us because like they weren't a good value, a good culture fit. And that ended up causing a lot of internal chaos. And, you know, it's just one of those things like, God, I wish I had not. (laughs) We had not pulled the trigger on that one. And so, you know, ultimately, like I think, look, there's a thousand ways you can fail in marketing. There's um, a lot of things can go wrong. But, you know, my best practices would be. Um, you know, make sure you're very conscientious of how you're building your team. Make sure you build the right metrics. You know, think about what a more modern marketing strategy looks like. You know, stay on top of the trends, and and you can you know minimize the mistakes. You're always going to make mistakes. That's fine. In fact, you should be right. You know, you should be trying new things and failing, but you want to have it in the right construct so that you can build that long term scalable growth engine. Mm-hmm.
0: Very good, very good. So maybe let's spend a minute or two. Uh talking about what are you up to these days and i understand you work with the young companies and so maybe if you could talk about how you help them to achieve uh, hyper growth
1: yeah sure so i had like i was really fortunate i had about five exits in my career and i had a point where you know we had kind of had an awesome run with slack and you know they had gone ipo and I just was like, you know, what do I do next? You know, do I go down the, you know, the, the, uh, the board route? Do I go down the advisor route? Do I go down the retirement route? <laughs> and I'm way too young to retire and I'm terrible at golf. And so I said, um, you know, I love working with other operators. Right. And I had a couple, you know, offers become VCs, but I just, I love working with great founders. Right. And so I said, Hey, I think that's where I can best give back. I can best make an impact, and so today I do that full time. I work with a you know select group of, of startups. Um, they range in size. Usually, it's like Series A, B, or C um, from a startup perspective, and you know, and I try to help them out wherever I can. You know, it tends to be a lot of it is on hey, how do I build a more capital efficient growth model? Right between marketing, sales, success, support. What does that look like? Um, A lot of it's on like org design, like helping mentor maybe an existing leader or maybe help them find a new leader. Um, Some of it's like building a tech stack that we had talked about. Um, Just someone that's kind of been there, that's seen kind of growth and what it takes to win categories. And that can help them out. And so that's something I really enjoy. You know, if your company listened to this and you're interested, you know, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Always happy to have that conversation. But yeah, it's something I find really rewarding. Like I love growing companies. I love helping them you know, dominate categories. Uh, it's just super fun. Like I've, I've always loved business as long as I've, I've been alive. So it's, it's always fun to, to work with other great founders.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, maybe let's start wrapping it up. And so maybe the last question that might be a little bit open ended that I have, to you is that looking back at your illustrious career, what would be the most important thing that you learned in your opinion? Uh, I,
1: most important. Well, I already gave my employable a uh, piece of advice. So I'll go with this. Like, I don't think there's a huge difference between B2C and B2B marketing. Hmm, um, why is that? I just think at the end of the day, people are people, right? Yeah. And you know, I'm a consumer and I buy a lot of stuff and I'm a B2B executive and I've bought a lot of stuff. Um, and at the end of the day, we're people. Right. And we love brands and the brands that we love. We tend to buy more of and recommend and and spread and a lot of the tactics for B2C you can use for B2B. Some of the tactics you use for B2B you can use for B2C. Um, I just think like, you know, take a holistic approach, you know, be customer centric, right? That's my always approach. Like look at it from the, the customer's point of view, not your point of view. Don't optimize around your own internal work structure and design and that optimize around the customer, delight them. Um, and, uh, and I think you can, you can really win that way. So maybe that, yeah, I'll go with that one. Just cause I think for a lot of people think like, oh, we can't, we're selling to enterprises in B2B. We, we can't we can't make someone laugh in our ad or it's got to be really boring and we have to use all acronyms and like we can't, or we have to wear suits all the time. Right? Like what? But I found like people aren't like that. They're just, they're just regular people. Um, and you know, you can use a lot of the same stuff for B2C that people love there and, and, and take the best of it to the
0: B2B. All right. Great. Before we go, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you?
1: Yeah, uh, just reach me on LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. I'm usually checking that daily, so you can always send me a message there. And um, happy to connect. And uh, yeah, just uh, I'll, I'll always happy to make new connections.
0: All right, we're gonna end up with he, there. If you like the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating. Thanks, Bill, for joining the show today. Really appreciate your time and insights.
1: Uh, thanks so much for having me. I had, I had a great time. <laughs>